Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 53rd episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie. Joined, as always, with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, why aren't I playing Tears of the Kingdom right now? You got a podcast to record. Gotta talk about Flesh Yeah, but I want to play Tears of the Kingdom. That's a pretty good game. You I could be know. playing Tears of the Kingdom right now. You no, I be. can't. Casey's playing. Right? And over there. Everybody at home. Yeah, everybody at home can be listening to this while while they're playing Tears of the Kingdom. They are the lucky ones. They don't have to sacrifice any Tears of the Kingdom time to have this podcast experience. I'm the only one who has to suffer, so you're welcome. Are you are you suffering by spending an hour recording a podcast with your buddy instead of playing a Zelda game all by yourself? It's so good. Yeah, your wife's playing Tears of the Kingdom right now. She is. She's having a great time over there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could be having that same great time, but no, here I am. And it's especially, uh, it's not that I don't enjoy talking to my friend, but the topic of the podcast also is burnout. So it's just like, if I'm just not engaged with flesh and blood, you know, I don't, I'd, I would very much rather be doing anything Tears of the Kingdom related than anything flesh and blood related right now. Yeah, that's fair. I think burnout's been something that we've both been experiencing some of for a while, and we haven't really talked about it on the podcast before, right? No, we got maybe during the mental health one that nobody watched, but uh, (laughs) it's okay. We weren't big yet. We weren't famous. I think we're at 15. By the time this goes up, we'll probably be at 1,500 YouTube subscribers, though. And if we're not, you should totally subscribe out there, and then we could be our 1,500 subscriber. Do it. And if you're an audio-only listener, then click the follow button, and then you can be follower number 1,566. Do we have 1,565 followers on our audio version? I don't know. It's the first number that came to my head. That's probably too many followers, but, you know, what are you going to do? No actual numbers and facts about life? No, no. Yeah, I feel like I don't check the audio only like numbers and stuff as much because like the part of YouTube that I like seeing is all the little comments people write saying all kinds of nice stuff or mean stuff, mostly nice stuff. But (laughs) I like reading those and then the audio stuff doesn't have that, you know. You know, what's interesting is that since we first started, I don't think we've ever gotten a single like heinously mean comment or anything like it's been pretty positive vibes in our comment section almost nonstop, which is, you know, I think that just speaks volumes about how good the flesh and blood community is overall. So thanks everybody out there. Yeah, that's, that's true. I can't think of any that I've read and been like, wow, that's so mean or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very, very nice community that we have in flesh and blood. And I, I really like the community but we're sick of them and we're done with flesh and blood. (laughs) We're burnt out. So I want to talk about burnout a little bit. I didn't really understand burnout until you linked me a video from Sloop Doop. I think we've recommended his channel before. Mm -hmm. He makes good flesh and blood content. And he posted a video like about two weeks ago about burnout. And it was just a really good video where he talks about burnout is kind of caused by like putting a lot of work into something like a lot of work into something and not getting the results you want from that work that you put in. And I think he also kind of, I think that he 
Sorry. <laughs> I think that I personally kind of feel that way with, I mean, like I personally felt that way at, or I felt burnt out at world or after worlds and after, even after tournaments I've won, which isn't the, it's not the result that was making me feel burnout. So I'm not, I'm not sure why that definition like resonates with me so well because I've still felt burnout after. Yeah, that should that, that should be with Mr. Scrub over here. That's my <laughs> resonating definition. You got a PTI and you qualify for nationals, and I have no PTIs and I didn't qualify for nationals. So, who's the big old burned out loser? This guy. You're you're a burnout winner. It's a that's a rare, it's a rare thing. You're just so tired of winning. You're just so, you know what? The, it's the it's the opposite for you, Michael, because you're just so tired of your continued excellence. You're just so bored by just showing up and just always just crushing the field nonstop. It's just like, what's the point? You know, it's like if it's like it's like Superman syndrome. Like, oh my god, he just wants to be a normal person, but he can't. He's Superman. Mm-mm. Like Michael is Jordan that, just wants to play pickup game of basketball sometime, but he can't. He's Michael Jordan. People would play a pickup game of basketball with him and lose horribly, and then he'd be bored because <laughs> he's so good at basketball. Okay, that's <laughs> there. You go. Fair. People will. Lots of people will play flesh and blood against you, but not a lot of people will beat you in flesh and blood. A lot of people have beaten me in flesh and blood. I've lost many games. Name one you oh that's news to me right you beat me a lot you beat me up with bolton in our monarch limited games the other day yeah that's because no no i didn't bolton's unplayable in monarch limited nobody oh, played sorry, bolton. nobody sorry. dropped bolton no he's he's real bad yeah you have to wait for our monarch yeah. limited episode to get the real secrets about how bolton's great yeah we should probably actually like draft monarch before you make that episode and then we actually have to like schedule a monarch draft so we should do that i have the boxes i have the boxes right over there and, but we got to find six other people and who knows where we're gonna get six other people yeah i don't think that's that hard there's a lot of flesh and blood people in indy just ask them if you say i so. can ask them i can th- i can start setting up a monarch draft if you'd like I'd probably be down for anyway. that. <laughs> anyway. So, like, the other aspect of it is that we have a podcast, and you have coaching, and we have Manor University, and we like doing all those things, or we should most of the time, but at a certain point, it does feel like work. And um, what's what was also really interesting to me is that also maybe a little too inside baseball here, but Michael and I had some, like, personal grievances over the past week too. And that also spilled over to me not liking flesh and blood because I associate so much of my relationship with the game, with my relationship with Michael. Um, like if Michael and I hated each other, all of a sudden it'd be hard for me to keep playing flesh and blood. Like, it's cause I'd just be at every tournament. I get, I just see him on the podium stage every time. And I'd be like, <laughs> no, so I, I probably couldn't do that. Uh, but anyways, but then we just had like a two, three hour conversation in like good hour, hour and a half of that conversation was still just talking about flesh and blood stuff too. 
And I just, that was a perfectly fine conversation. I felt rejuvenated and happy after that conversation. But here we are recording a podcast and I'm like, I'm sleepy. <laughs> where's the Zelda at? Yeah, where's the Shears of the Kingdom? Yeah. I think like an obligation to do something just always makes it a little bit more draining in general and like we, why we do is that why do, why does a human brain do that it's the same thing it's the same thing but like why does like your brain just make it so like no i'm not free to do i'm not choosing to do this i hate this but like you're still choosing to do it yeah like if we didn't like we could choose to stop doing the podcast i know we talked about that yeah, like right now before oh no bye uh well Hopefully it comes back. I hope. And then I chose to come back. Okay. I'm glad I'm glad that was the decision you made. <laughs> but I think feel like obligated to do things just like like it feels like you can't not do it if you don't want to. So even when you want to, like that's kind of like looming over you that you can't not do it if you don't want to. I don't know. I should have done some more research on burnout before this episode. <laughs> Would have been a good idea. I watched it's one okay. Sloop Doop video and I liked the video. What is Sloop Doop's real name? Oh, don't put me on the spot like that. I didn't know I it. I actually know. had to. I, 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 only, I only know it because I talked to him in real life at the Pro Tour Baltimore and had some lovely conversation with him. It's Wesley. Okay. Cool. Wesley. And I was like, I I knew a different card game, Wesley, and then I thought about Wesley. And I was like, I miss that guy, but he lives in Portland now. Anyways. Um, and, like, there's exciting stuff going on. Like, old time, he's going to living legend. But, like, that's, like, another month from now. And I love Bolton. And presumably, Bolton's going to get some sweet cards in Dustadon. And that's coming out in, like, July, though. And... I guess another thing that's like weird is I don't even know if I want to play in any more Road to Nash Knowles qualifying weekends. I don't have any scheduled this weekend. And then I did sign up already for the classic constructed one at Cards and All at the first week of June. But I don't know. At the last Road to Nationals, I was like so ambivalent and just like blah. I like legitimately most of the time I brought my Switch and I was like, I could just be playing more Tears of the Kingdom right now instead of drafting this this game. But like, no, I had to, I was just like drafting Flesh and Blood instead. And I was like, I don't know if I appreciate this right now. Hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of puts us in a weird spot with like Flesh and Blood too. Because like we spent so long prepping for the Pro Tour. And I think during that time, there was a lot of stuff that we were thinking about about the game that would have been great to talk on the podcast. But part of being on a team is we can't, we can't share what other people share with us. Basically it's their things to, to know. So like, I think part of my burnout towards the podcast is like, we started this podcast because we like talking about flesh and blood. We want to help people get better at the game. And then feeling like we can't share certain things does. I think, I think it's, it still feels like we're putting the same amount of work into the podcast, but we're making a worse product. Cause we're like, it feels like we're holding things back. And I know you talked about, one of our pre pro tour episodes being one of our worst episodes <laughs> because it felt like we were saying like 
That was the uh, only one that I've like. I think I said that last week as well. Where it's just like I'm just I was just actively unhappy to record that podcast because it was just like 40 minutes of nothing. And I'm sorry to everybody who spent their time, wasted their life oh. listening to that. Hopefully they were playing uh, they couldn't play Tears of the Kingdom yet, but some oh. other good good other life experience they were having while listening to that to counterbalance it out. Mm-hmm. But so I think I guess the maybe some of the flesh and blood burnout is on that axis where we're making the podcast and I really like the community we've built. There's a lot of great people. We get a lot of really sweet comments on a bunch of our videos. And I think overall, I just kind of feel like the product we're putting out isn't exact, isn't always as high of standards that I would like. And I think that's part of why I haven't gotten, I've never felt burnout towards university because we can always talk through the lines and talk about everything. And I always feel like, I've been consistently happy with what we've put out for university. I think there was one, there's been like at least one time that we like got like halfway through a video and we're like, this isn't going to work. And we had to start over, but that seemed yeah. worth it. That's been a while. Cause that was just because like of streaming issues or whatever, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know where I'm yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want this podcast to get too rambly, but uh Join our Discord if you're in it and tell us what you want out of the podcast or if you've like been enjoying it or give us some feedback. Give, send us some mean comments so we could uh, oh, no. figure out what we need to do better. You know, um, Ultimately, Michael and I care about putting out good quality content and we care um, about uh, flesh and blood, but it's just like we've been talking about the when you feel kind of lost, you feel kind of burnt out overall, and you just don't know how, like, you just kind of feel lost at sea sometimes. And it's just like, well, I don't know what I should be playing for class constructed because, like, if if the new set comes out and old and living legends, that's just a completely brand new format that I'm having to slog through for like the next uh, couple of weeks or. Sorry, I said that backwards. It's just I, I have to slog through that old format with the old I'm still around, probably still being the best deck with Lexi counterbalancing him out. And it's just like everything else kind of feels meh. And then Outsiders is kind of winding down, but uh, we haven't been drafting Monarch yet, but we're just in this awkward middle ground. But you know what? There's still some sweet things we could talk about flesh and blood. Let's talk about some flesh and blood things, even though probably most people are already tuned out by now. Is there anything <laughs> about flesh and blood that's excited, that you're excited about, that you want to talk about at all? So the biggest thing that I want to talk about is Pablo won another calling. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's really my place to open the discussion, but I think Pablo is like potentially the best player. He's got more premier level top eights than me. And I think the same number of calling wins. He's got at least two calling wins. Yeah, because you have you you have three calling wins. He has at least two. He has at least two now. And you have three. Okay. And he won a pro tour and he top eight another pro tour. And he's top eight a million callings. Okay, you've top eighted a good number of callings. Four. You've top eight, You've at least top eighted <laughs> every single calling you've ever played in. You won That's nationals. The the Vegas one I didn't top eight. I didn't oh, every individual one where you weren't. 
uh, hamstrung. Oh my And then, yeah, like you won nationals, you won worlds, and then you won Indianapolis, and then you didn't win France, but you won the battle hard in that weekend anyways. And then you didn't win uh, the pro tour in Baltimore, and you didn't play in the battle hard because you had a migraine. So you probably would have won it if you would have registered Icelander anyways, but. I'm I don't know anything dreams. about Blitz. I don't think I've played a game of Blitz since Worlds. You just play Icelander. Easy. Yeah. Icelander I mean, did at the time. She's gone no, she's now. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh. I can't believe how wrong we were about old time. In what regard? <laughs> when, when we said he was going to be like C tier after he lost his hammer. We said D tier. Whatever. We said the bottom of the barrel. Like down there with Dorinthia and yeah. Bolton. And yeah, kind of looked silly on that one. A little bit. Like, who think, knew that he was just had a good card pool still, and that he didn't need a stupid hammer, anyways. Yeah, and I do think a big part of Oldheim's success has been Rangers being like boosted, <laughs> boosted to the top. Like, at Indianapolis, the past few, since Outsiders specifically. Yeah, so in Indianapolis, Oldheim did much better than I expected before Outsiders cards came out. Um, but like Azalea and Lexi being a big part of the metagame is also pretty good for old time. And I I really thought that Lexi was solidly favored into old time if you play it perfectly. But after our last university episode, I'm not so confident anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah, at least into Pablo's build, which... Look like it straddled the line between a fatigue and normal mid range old him. It's probably just still a more controlling old him because it's still like cards like Oasis Respite and Brothers in Arms. So maybe those cards just went a long way into just making the matchup a lot better. Mm-hmm. Just giving. As well as playing Rampart. Yeah, giving old him more ways to block the um, breakpoints with four defense things and also allowing him to use Rampart and Crown on most turns without being resource inefficient because so many extra ways to spend that one floating resource. Yeah. Just it was very, it was very effective. I also think the Absolutely. buckle plus buckling blow tech that we've seen some lists use. I don't think Pablo's had it, but we've seen other lists use it. That also is very good because blowing up new horizons makes Lexi like very easy to fatigue. Yeah. I'm more dubious on that plan just because like lining it up, is not as easy as it sounds because you need like a lot of resources you need the buckle and the buckling blow it just it's just kind of a lot to all line up i feel like in the same hand so it's doable obviously but i just don't know how much of i believer i am of it overall i guess Mm -hmm. that makes sense I don't really have a counterpoint. I think like it does it does demand a lot. It's a you need a four card hand with a tunic counter or a five card hand to even like do the combo. And mm-hmm. Lexi has a lot of arrows that you really want to block, especially if your game plan is to fatigue her. Yeah, and lots of Lexi's play cards like Winner's Bite and stuff like that. So like it's not like she's just a potato or um codexes and things like that. Like there's like Lexi's not just doing raw number damage. She does have some levels of interaction or giving you a frostbite and things like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just lots of things that can go wrong on that plane still. But 
who cares anymore? Hold on. Oh, like that, that, that could be the best way to ever be, win the matchup. He's gone. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, he's got like a month of terror left before he actually leaves. But what do you think about if they just made it that as soon as he hit a thousand points, you're just gone? Why does it have to be on a banner restricted announcement? You know? So the biggest issue with it happening when you hit it is if there is like a tournament the week before another tournament and this hero's like at 900 X points. And enough where if they win that tournament, they get Living Legend. And if they lose, then they don't. Then like people can't really prepare for the tournament the next week and have to prepare for two formats, which isn't really fair to ask for, especially for like people that aren't putting in as much time as like us or don't have like the resources of a big team like the Wolfpack. Where like if I'm just trying to play my road to nationals and I like old time, I'm an old time main, like it's not really fair to me as or who as if if I am some Let's call him Johnny. Johnny wants to play his old time. And he's played old time for the last few months. And he really likes old time and he's been practicing him. And his only road to nationals is next weekend. And then old time gets banned this weekend. That doesn't really give him any time to find a new deck and start playing something else. Whereas like if there's a banned restricted announcement scheduled for the week before his tournaments, then he at least knows there's a possibility that old time will get banned before then. I guess you always know you, even if, hmm. even if I guess you do know there's a possibility always if that's just how the system works, but I think it feels worse if your hero could just like hit living legend at any time and be gone for ever. Whereas this way, like you can practice a hero for a season and know you'll be able to play him for the whole season. Okay, I could be. I'm convinced by that argument. Okay. The only upside I see it is like in this lame duck format where I just want something to change now. Just give me something new and exciting now. But I'm also in a much different position than the average flesh and blood player. So. Yeah, I, I think like flesh and blood is. <laughs> so there, here's another thing we could talk about. But flesh and blood is one of the most expensive card games right now, and. Not even oh, knowing I if your deck about will be this piece of drama. legal. Yeah. Not even knowing if your deck will be legal next week on many weeks of playing. Like, like if like consistently week after week, you're like, next week it might be gone. Next week it might be gone. Next week it might be gone. At least like with banned restricted announcements, you like know that it's going to be legal until that point. And you can feel good about like having the cards until then. But do you want to touch yeah. on that drama point? I don't know if you want to talk about it. Yeah, that's the other part that's leading to me. I was like, one day of rallying back against somebody who talks bad about flesh and blood, I still prefer people to take the high roll road or whatever, but fine. Like, I get it. The internet's the internet. But uh, I'm still seeing posts about it like a week later now, like completely unprompted and stuff like that. And I don't like that anymore. And it's even to the point now where like, uh, a big thing that like people also still bring up that makes me uncomfortable now is uh, I, I even said so much as Twitter is I, I even used to rag on Tarek Patel pretty hard with like the knickknack brick a brick thing in an article that he wrote before a pro tour or whatever. People still every time somebody says Tarek Patel and they want to get an easy joke, they're like, "Oh, Tarek Patel, knickknack brick a brick," <laughs> and it's like. I don't think like it deserves to live on in infamy like that forever for the rest of time. Like let it go. Like it wasn't, I, I am 
100% confident after talking to him that it wasn't some kind of psyops or like uh, active sabotage. He was trying to get by through like other players and stuff like that. And like, do you really think like, if, like, let's just think about it like objectively for a second. Do you really think somebody at the pro tour, like a pro tour level competitor is going to be like, oh, I read Tarek Patel's channel fireball article and with no testing and no critical thinking skills of my own i'm going to register these 80 cards because that's what Tarek patel says i should do like that just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense there's not a lot to gain there by saying a card is good like or trying to psyops people by saying a card is good you might like waste like a couple hours of their time with their where they test the card and come to their own conclusions but like that's not I don't know. It just doesn't seem like an efficient psyops, I guess. Yeah. And <laughs> just social media being the way it is, where it just promotes negativity. Like I see so much more negative things on my, like on the timeline when I'm just browsing, uh, like just trying to keep up on the like, community current events. And that's why, like, I think now our most liked tweak or something like that, that I just put out when I was like getting kind of frustrated by negative, I was just like, Hey, whoever's reading this, you're an awesome person. Thank you for being you. And like, uh, I just try to engage with more of like the positive things to promote that just because the negativity um, is so high. But I guess like touching on like as far as what started the card games are expensive drama. Do you have anything to say about like the drama aspect of it? Yeah, I I think I kind of want to just give some of our listeners context because, well, it seems like a lot of people know what's going on. I don't think everybody is going to know what we're talking about. So I forgot the name of the channel, but some channel put out a really nice video comparing the prices of different card games. And they took 10 of the more popular card games. I don't actually know if they're the 10 most popular card games or how they chose the 10 card games, but um, they took 10 popular card games and they took five top performing decks from those different card games and basically totaled the price that you would need to spend to own all of the cards to build the five decks. And let's say for flesh and blood, if three of your decks played final spring tunic. You didn't need to buy three final spring tunics. You need to buy one final spring tunic, but the cost to have enough cards that you could reasonably put together any of those five decks for the weekend, basically. And the video ended up with flesh and blood's total cost being like 2000 something dollars. The next best or the next most expensive game. I don't remember what it was, but it was like a couple hundred dollars less still around 2000. And I think Yu-Gi-Oh was also up there. And then Pokemon was at the bottom at like $350. Cause yeah. And so it was a great video. I think the system wasn't perfect because for example, for magic, it was using the format of standard, which is almost, almost always the cheapest format in magic. And, and we were just talking about this the other day. Does anybody ever played a game of paper magic in like the past three years? Like paper magic. It just, standard. It's not like, yeah. Paper magic standard is just not a real thing anymore i don't feel like i could be wrong maybe there's a lot of lg but like as just locally at our lgs's i know that it's basically like commander or bust for like most friday night magics at this point or modern or pioneer but i I just don't know that standard's been played in a very long time popularly so i don't know yeah um but basically the the video was really well made it didn't have it didn't have zero issues i think there was something wrong with the calculation for the flesh and blood decks too or i think it was like using the all art channel like frigid instead of the the regular like five or ten dollar one but anyway uh, the the point is it was a good video but it kind of blew up on twitter i think it started when uh it was a tweet from jeff hoagland i think that's what started it all 
Uh, that's what started. I don't know if that's what started it all, all, but I okay. that's what started the entire community rallying against him because he said Flesh and Blood <laughs> has always been loot boxes first and uh, card games second. And yeah, which is just like obviously not true. This game's very good. It's, yeah. But, and like, it's, you don't. Uh, he, he a stu- like a person on the internet said something that was stupid and ill-informed and a little mean-spirited but like okay and like do we have to like completely rally uh, the circle of the wagons and make him i guess we didn't make him but like annoyed him to the point where he's banned the entire flesh and blood community and to start other random fights with like people about why flesh and blood's ama- like it just doesn't seem like it's doing any good uh, in my perspective, at least. And I would just prefer people just kind of just let people say what the stupid things that they want. Clearly people play the game. Cause that was the old meme about flash and blood is that nobody even plays this game. It's only investors trading to other investors, but like callings are getting near a thousand people. Now the pro tour is super healthy. Somebody's won a hundred thousand dollars in the world championship. Like clearly there's people playing the game and enjoying it. And even local scenes and communities are starting to grow more and uh, parts of different parts of the world are getting into it now with like Brazil and Japan and stuff like that. Like clearly like this one person on the internet is just wrong and it's fine. Or sorry, it's not fine, but like, you don't need to hate this person forever just because they said something dumb, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I agree. You don't need to hate the person because they said something dumb. And like of uninformed takes that you could make, I, I feel like it's not even the worst one <laughs> or not close to like the worst thing you could say about a game. I think even like as part of the flesh and blood community, we we've talked about the, the barrier of things like fables being not, not ideal like the fact that heart of i or not heart of Ice, heart of final is both an old heim and an ice lighter and it's like a 400 hundred dollar card and it's like if you want to play the best versions of these decks you probably need heart of final that's not i i don't think that's ideal and like the fact that it is very hard to pull one i don't know i i'm i i think flesh and blood is an amazing game and I could see how an outsider would come to the opinion that it is very loot boxy. Though I think that's loot boxes are just inspired by trading card game packs. That's just all trading yeah. card games packs are in a sense loot boxes. Yeah. So just like <laughs> talking about a card game and calling it a loot box, it's like, yeah, unless it's a CCG, that's... it's probably a loot box game. That's like by definition. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I guess like now we can talk about like as far as like the prices in the game is concerned. And to be fair, what the more I think about it, I don't think you need the maxed out hard to find all version, perfect 80 cards with everything to go and play in your local armory. I think if you spent $500 and you wanted to go and play flesh and blood competitively, even at like a road to nets, a $500 deck, you can probably get away with like competing and doing well. It's just like, so much of the game is skill dependent and i think the top top players would need like you would need the two thousand dollar hard to find all to go and win a nationals or a calling or the worlds or something that that or a pro tour so i don't know that the game being super expensive is all that important as far as like a true bit like if we're talking about as like a barrier to entry I don't know mm-hmm. if it fits that role. If you want to call it like a barrier to top level competition, that's a different story. And at that point, 
every single game and every single sport even has that same thing because it's just like the person who's running in like their $20 Nikes is not going to run the same way as a person who's in like max $500 air cushion crazy design sneakers or whatever like the higher end players of anything that you can compete at will have an advantage by spending money that's just how competing in things goes i think um what you what you touched about i agree with about the barrier to entry or cost to entry being a lot lower than like the price of a competitive tier one deck i think one thing that's not really talked about is how having these very expensive chase cards actually lowers the price of other cards in the set. Like if you look at random class majestics, they're like, especially in the older sets, they're like five bucks. They're like 10 bucks, sometimes less. I don't know. I, I admittedly, I am not super in the know about the prices of different cards, but like, I'm pretty sure like blood rush bellow or whatever is like, very very cheap it was for a very long time i don't know that the welcome to wraith ones might have started going up but outside of welcome to wraith and arcane rising i think that's still true okay uh endless winter or oak and old are both very very cheap when yeah you can play those cards and i remember looking at when we were building the old time deck for orlando i looked at some of the prices of the cards i'm like wow these cards are like nothing. And then the CNCs and the tunic, or I guess it didn't have a tunic then. The CNCs and the crown of seeds and the rampart were all a bunch of money. And then like, but all the majestics are really cheap comparatively. And like, if you look at blitz where like a lot of the decks don't need a lot of their legendary equipment, you don't really need a tunic for most decks and blitz. Like the cost to play the game is actually pretty, pretty reasonable, I guess, if you're not looking to play CC and win a pro tour with a cc deck and like yeah and it's for class constructed and like for blitz yeah like that's i think that's the true like beginner level format for people to get in if they want to play constructed level format but like limited the barrier to entry is a hundred dollars just buy a booster box like that's that's how we got into like michael and i didn't start playing flesh and blood by going to tcgplayer.com or whatever and finding the or flesh and blood decklist buying all of the most expensive cards and getting into the game and then jamming class constructed a chain v prism from day one with all of our fables i said (laughs) i want to try this game i'm going to buy some blitz get i bought i bought some blitz decks and i bought a box or two and like our barrier entry was two hundred dollars and like we learned how to play flesh and blood really really liked it and if we wanted to stretch that we could have just turned those uh boxes into like their own decks and stuff like that and we could have played casual flesh and blood for quite a long long time off of that but since we are competitive minded people and we're like hey we want to go compete at the highest level in this game as well we have to we have to make the investment and put in the money and that's just how that's just how it went but i I don't know. That's just like my point about barrier entry as well. I, I also think that I'm kind of a big proponent of draft as a great format. Once you learn the basics of the game, you should try drafting because you kind of get like a taste of deck building. You get to play a lot of games and the cost to play a draft is like $15. It's less if you do it with the right. Right. If, like if you're just paying for the three packs that you need to draft, it's like $12. But like most stores have some kind of price support and you pay a little bit more for that price support. But yeah, it's like $15 for a draft, which you get to keep some cards. You play for two two hours or so. And yeah, it's it's great. And the barrier there is extremely low. Exactly. And then 
on the inverse, I feel like people never talk about what the positives are about cards having value. Um, I think this conversation is always framed on the downsides of expensive cards. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody ever make a pro expensive card argument. Um, and that's when you buy, when you spend money on something for entertainment and stuff like that. Like if you go and have a dinner, you've spent that money, it's gone forever. If you play Magic the Gathering now, you go and you buy a booster box and you, you, every card in standard becomes worthless as because it's not played <laughs> in modern anymore because they have direct modern sets. And uh, and if it does hold any value, then Wizards of the Coast will print it directly in secret layers and take its price. And then any dollar you spend on it was basically wasted at that point. Like at one point, I think there was this card called Tarmogoyf and it used to be $200 a card. Now you can pick up a play set we were looking, it was like 50 bucks. And that feels really bad for people in the long run. Like your more enfranchised players will get burnt out and get tired of spending their money if they just see their money continually evaporate before their eyes. You know what keeps people invested in the game and caring about it though is when their cards maintain a certain level of value and they know, oh, this card that I spent uh, some money on, it doesn't have to keep that perfect price of like spring tuning being $200 or forever. I think if it went to like $100, $150 again, that's that's fine. It's a fine price for it to be. But I don't think it's reasonable to be like tuning should be $10 because that's basically tell, saying everybody who spent that initial money, I don't care about your money and I don't care about any investments you make. And there have been points in my life as back playing Magic where like me being able to sell my collection bailed me out of some horrible life situations. And that just doesn't exist um, if all the cards are super cheap and there's no value to the game. Yeah. And, and you do see posts like that a lot. It's like, Hey, I need to pay for this. Hey, my car broke down. I'm selling some cardboard to pay for it. You see that in like, I would say less than half sale posts that you see, but like, I, I I've seen that just like, I don't spend a lot of time on those buy sell trade communities. I don't really engage with the financial side of flesh and blood that much or card games in general. It's just not my jam, but the ones I do see a lot of them include stuff like that. They're like, Hey, X happened. I'm going to sell some cards to cover the cost of whatever thing. And I think that is a very big pro that, like you said, that you can, when you spend money buying a flesh and blood deck, then your the cards aren't going to be worth like, not just throwing your money away a year later. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like, if you think about it from like an old school magic perspective, like, could you imagine like, actually owning and like having open and open those cards in like 1993 1994 and then like all of a sudden like 30 years later like you're just a millionaire off of the cardboard that you have like i don't think it should ever be that extreme like that's obviously not a healthy level for card prices to get to and that's also what makes this uh match or this discussion like not conducive for twitter or the internet in general because it's nuanced and there's <laughs> Uh, a lot of gray area in it and mm -hmm. that's just not the way people want to have conversations anymore and i hope nobody thinks like oh roger thinks cards should be expensive he's an elitist asshole that you know just wants to price people out it doesn't care about the class system or anything like that it's just like i am just trying my best to evaluate the world as which it sits today and make my best informed decisions that I think are pragmatic and are useful. I don't have any ill intentions with like my opinions or anything like that. I don't, I'm not like a greedy, I don't have 20 
buy binders of find all spring tunic sitting behind me i own two <laughs> copies of find all spring tunic that's it like uh i have some sealed boxes up there but like ask me when i'm gonna sell those never uh this is not really like what i'm planning to do with them they're like welcome to wraith is going to get more expensive in time than those what the majority of those boxes are and i like welcome to wraith it's the first flesh and blood set it's super nostalgic for me uh, I'm going to want to play Welcome to Wraith. That's like the set that Michael and I started with. So I bought them now while they're cheap. And like now, if five, 10 years from now, I want to place them Welcome to Wraith sealed with Michael again. I can do that. I'm good to go. I won't have to spend the $2,000 or whatever <laughs> that they'll be at the time because it's been out of print. So um, yeah, I, that's just my small rant about that again. What do you, if the boxes, go to two thousand dollars would you would you place you with them yeah wild maybe not two thousand dollars well two thousand i I would i might sell like if it's two thousand dollars a box which i don't know how that would ever happen (laughs) maybe in like 30 40 years from now uh hard to find dollars worth 10 grand or something yeah or something like that maybe i'd sell a box or two or something like that. If like, it's like, obviously at some point I'll have to like, look at it, but the, that, that wasn't my intention when I bought them basically. Like they're not, they're not sitting there because I'm planning to retire by selling my sealed cases of flesh and blood one day. I'm, I have them because I enjoy the game. I love flesh and blood, uh, despite being burnt down on it a little bit at the moment. And yeah. Makes sense. I think, so I, I also own but, a little bit of sealed product, definitely less than you. And I kind of think of it as if I'm paying, because I bought Welcome to Rates when you were kind of talking it up. I think we even talked about it on the, one of the one It was $240 podcasts. a case. $240 a case. I, I was like, I would pay $60 to draft Welcome to Wraith to have a box so I can run a draft of Welcome to Wraith. And I'm going to buy a few I think I bought a case. I might've bought two. It's one or two. They're sitting in my closet. I'll have to go look at some point, but worst thing that happens is 10 years down the line, it's worth nothing. And I pull together eight people that still know how to play flush, but I'm like, let's go back to the good times. Let's draft some welcome to race. Yeah. Sounds great. But that being said, maybe it's time for us to revisit and, Oh wait, no. That's the other awkward thing I'm realizing now about being in a lame duck format is like, how do we make a budget deck recommend? I guess we'd have to try to think of like heroes that probably won't change too much when the new set comes out, but that's just so hard to like prognosticate. So I think for budget decks, a lot of the time, they don't need to be like super caught up with the meta. They need to be decks that are affordable and decks that are like somewhat competitive. And then like people can adjust them as they have money and to fight their local meta. Because when you're making budget deck recommendations, you're not like, this is a deck you should take to a calling. You're going to go take down a calling with this budget deck. It's like, this is for your local armory or your local events, whatever armories or skirmishes or whatever's going on. And um, obviously based on your local metagame, you can adjust them to make them better. And then as your budget, if your budget increases, you can add some more expensive cards to them and stuff. So like, I don't think they need to be like decks that will consistently be good against whatever comes out in Dust Dawn. But as, but I, I would like to do another budget deck episode. So I think okay, my list of budget episodes to do, out. we got 
old time sunset show. We got monarch draft and we got budget decks, three flesh and blood content episodes. Oh, it's been so long since a hero living legend. I forgot that we do sunset. Do we have to do sunset shows? Can we sunset wanna... sunset shows? <laughs> uh, we can. You don't want to talk about old time. I got some good memories of that guy. I know you do. We'll see. We'll see how I feel. It's not a good time to ask me about what I want to be doing in this game. So is it, we'll is it Zelda? Day at a time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's playing Tears of the Kingdom. But... Mm-hmm. I unfortunately also have a day job as well, and I need to type up reports and do compliance things. Uh, dang compliance Sad. things. Banks and stuff. Who needs them? When the proletariat overthrows the bourgeoisie, I won't have a job and tunics will be in free. <laughs> I don't know. Glorious what, day. I don't know what that means. Except the tunics are free uh, and you don't have a job. Nope. Nope. I, I don't know what that means. It's okay. Karl Marx is the guy who wrote the Communist Manifesto and came up with the idea of communism. Mm, I do recognize that name. I'm sure I learned yeah, it at some you, you were, you were, Yeah, you, you were brought up in Indiana education system, so I'm sure you learned that he was an evil devil, Satan worshiper that hates everybody in America. So, I don't think that's what I learned. Good old Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I went to college Indiana. there. It's fine. It's a fine state. Yeah. There's lots of cool people here. Mm -hmm. There are a non-zero amount of cool people here. (laughs) Lots of them. (laughs) Okay. You're right around. Any final thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There's kind of like several topic episodes. We didn't really talk about one specific thing for most of it. We got the, the burnout. We got the finance. We got the... Oldham. Drama, Oldham, yeah, Pablo. Mm-hmm. But I think game's great, and even though I'm a little burnout, and you're some somewhat burnout, also probably a little bit more burnout than me. But I'm all yeah. Anyway, I don't know if you need to compare burnout. Actually, what I'm trying to say, my burnout's is, better than your burnout. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Thanks, everybody, for all the comments that you always give because it's always really nice to read through those and we appreciate them a lot. And thanks for listening. Yeah, maybe I'll try to learn how to do timestamps and I'll timestamp all the different topics. This way, somebody just wants to come and hear about Pablo stuff, they can hear Pablo stuff. And if somebody wants to uh, hear our take on Twitter drama and deck prices, they can just listen to that half and whoever the lovely people are that listen to the whole thing thank you very much you're you're a, you're a good person copycat copycat i hearted them you're only hearting them because i hearted them okay <laughs> <laughs> well with that being said the next time you're giving a heart symbol to somebody because you heart them so much always remember to mind your manners thanks for watching bye